You're listening to RTI Audio, powered by Rocky Top Insider. This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler and Ryan Jumpert. By Rocky Top Insider here on a rainy Wednesday afternoon. Today is August 10th. My name is Rick Butler. Joined with me right across the table, as always, that is Ryan Shumpert. And hey, we are here in the middle of August to break down a little Tennessee athletics action. Ryan, good afternoon, my friend. How are you? What's going on? I'm doing well. Doing well. Like you said, rainy day, an off day for for us. I'm not sure it's really an off day for the Tennessee football team. They don't practice today, but I'm sure they will be spending a long, strenuous hour still at the Anderson football uh, facility. So uh, a little bit off day for us, not for the players, but plenty to talk about as uh, Tennessee's first scrimmage of fall practices in the rear view. Yeah, you know, now that you're saying that, I'm kind of connecting the dots a little bit, maybe thinking about something that I haven't necessarily been thinking about before, but with all the rain that we've had here in Knoxville the last really couple of weeks, I mean, we've we've had some bad thunderstorms. A friend of mine had his tree knocked down the other day. Uh, but with all those, none of them have really interfered with the Tennessee practice schedule, though. None of them have really been in that time of frame where they're practicing in the morning. So I believe every single time we've been there so far, what has it been, uh, eight maybe practices or so, somewhere along, along those lines, it has been the traditional start indoors, move your way outdoors uh, every single uh Every single practice so far. Yeah, we've seen eight practices so far. They've had nine when you count scrimmage. We weren't okay. able to watch any of that. But no, you're right. I, I said to somebody earlier this week, it feels like this last two two weeks or so, I mean, it feels like we're living in Florida. It's just like every afternoon it's there's wild. some sort of, uh, maybe not always raining every afternoon, but getting dark uh, and windy and, and you know possibility of rain basically every single afternoon. It actually came a little bit early today as we record it too. It got here about an hour ago, so... Uh, it, it threw me off yeah. coming a couple hours early. You know, Texas can't get any rain. No. Even Jimbo Fisher uh, made a made a joke about that when we were in Atlantic because it was pouring in Atlanta. So Texas can't get any rain. They have like a they had like a 50-day drought streak. Meanwhile, Tennessee, Kentucky, especially Kentucky, other parts of the southeast just getting absolutely uh, stormed on the last couple weeks, but Luckily, again, has not interfered too much with the Tennessee practice schedule. So, hey, I guess that's a pretty good start to the fall uh, with Mother Nature happening as well. Yeah, certainly. And, uh, you know, it might be good for, for one of these days for them to get a rain practice in. Sure. Uh, obviously, I don't think you want that consistently. But not a bad uh, to have a little bit of experience going into that because you don't know what the weather is going to be those 12 Saturdays in fall. Hey, th- that reminds me as well. And I saw this video come up a, a couple days ago on Twitter. Remember just a couple years ago that Tennessee LSU game in Neyland? Yeah. That was just a, a a monsoon, a torrential downpour. That was one of the craziest sporting environments I'd ever seen in my whole life. Yeah, that was. I mean, I I didn't watch a ton of that game. I was down in Birmingham that day. My Furman Paladins were were fighting for a SoCon, shared a SoCon championship at oh, Sanford. Wow. Uh, they lost a heartbreaker that day, but oh. that was an afternoon game. I got to watch a little bit of that Tennessee LSU game, and yeah, no, it was a, a crazy. I wouldn't even say atmosphere. Crazy weather to maybe even more crazy than the head coaching matchup of Brady Hoke and Ed Orgeron. <laughs> hey, that is not a bad point right there at all. All right, my friend, we have really, I mean, obviously we have a lot of Tennessee football to talk about, but we even have a little bit of basketball, excuse me, basketball and baseball to touch on as well. So 
Uh, that will be coming up a little bit later on in the podcast today. But for starters, Ryan, we go over to Tennessee football. And for everybody out there, in case you've been wondering this, because it's probably been on your mind, yes, I have still been roasted for the last week over starting out last week's podcast with four words. It's football time in Tennessee. Wait, five words. I'm still getting roasted for that. But nonetheless, the uh, the thought process still rings true, correct? Yes, it, it has, and it, it seems to be getting even closer now. Like I said, a, a little bit, the, the full pads are on. Tennessee's had one scrimmage. They'll have their second one on Sunday, and it kind of once you get a second scrimmage in, I don't know if saying it's all on the downhill is probably the right word, but camp is starting to get to the second half, and then it's about getting into game prep and Tennessee getting ready for Ball State. So looking at the scrimmage from yesterday, that was not an event, that was not an activity that we got to attend in person yesterday at all, but we did get to talk to Coach Heupel afterwards. Got to see a little bit of video that Tennessee put on social media. There was a play of um, Jeremy Banks. He had a really nice interception. There was a, There was another play of... Dylan Sampson, he was running in a touchdown that that looked nice right there on the pylon. So certainly a little bit of uh, a little bit of highlights, a little bit of footage leaked out so far. But mainly the biggest takeaway we got was from that conversation with Coach Heupel yesterday. You can go and look that all up on RockyTopInsider.com in case you missed it. But for starters, Ryan, it seemed like at least just my takeaway. It seemed like the scrimmage went well. Um, seemed like at least from. I guess you can kind of take it in a couple different directions. I think a lot of people are going to be most interested in offense first, but kind of starting with defense, I thought to me one of the biggest takeaways I had was so that, hey, we practiced a lot of situational red zone football, and there were a couple of good times where the defense was able to put in a good stop, force a field goal. So it seems like that's certainly a, an area that they're working on. That's at least a takeaway I took from the defense. You're right, and I think I think Heifel, you wrote about it earlier this week or maybe even earlier today, but you know, two things that Heifel said that, were good in the scrimmage, which was, like you said, the red zone defense and then the short yardage offensive situations. Those were two things that he mentioned on sun, you know, Sunday before, well, the first time we talked to him, the, the kickoff fall practice and things that he's talked about all offseason and things that are, are you know pretty obvious areas of where Tennessee can improve this year. And again, like anything in the scrimmage, if something good happens, that means something bad happened on the other side of things. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I do think that's a good sign and maybe – especially the red zone defense, which was an area that uh, obviously you just harped on, but was was really, really poor uh, a season ago. And I think you can maybe draw more credence in that than uh, many other things that we've we've heard so far. Yeah, and I think that's that's obviously we know how important of a just a, a spot that is in a traditional football game. But obviously for Tennessee's offense when or excuse me, for Tennessee's defense, just the way that the style that Tennessee football was playing last year, it seems like that's obviously going to be a place where Tennessee wants to take advantage of that. Yes, hey, there are going to be teams that push the ball down the field. I, I, I think that's an ex, it's obviously an expected component going into next year. But once they kind of get to that, that area of the field where it's the red zone, you kind of get to the 30-yard line or so, can Tennessee's defense pack it in enough right there to be able to make that stop? I kind of even think back to the, uh, the Kentucky game last year, right, when they had one of those final drives, and I believe Tennessee forced a – ultimately a foreign out, I believe a, a turnover on downs there, but that was an instance where they were able to drive the ball down the field late in the game, but when it mattered most, Tennessee's defense was able to kind of lock in together and get that stop, so I, I think that's going to be a crucial thing for them uh, looking forward to this year. Yeah, no, I think you're right, and it just goes with the fact that, you know, we've talked about this plenty of times, but Tennessee's defense is not going to be great. I mean, Tennessee hopes that it'll be better. I think there's reasons to think that it can be better, but I don't know if there's a whole lot of reasons to think it's going to be 
significantly better, night and day better. And given that, I think you got to look at the air, little small areas of where can you be better. I mean, you cannot be just tremendously horrible in three crucial games on third down defense. I think that that goes a long way. Sure. And then another one is that red zone defense. Just a handful of possessions, you know, across the season where you hold an opponent to three or you force a turnover in the red zone. Those type of things, while they aren't, you know, uh, when you look from, you know, 100 miles away and you look with a telescope, I guess – I don't even know if that would be the right right verbiage or not. But when you look at things you're like for where the defense can improve, those aren't the things that, that stand out because it's not personnel. It's not broad. But I think those are the small areas where if Tennessee really wants to take a step defensively, it's going to have to be those little areas that are better because they're, I think they can, like I just said, I think they can be better You know, as a whole. I think they have more talent. I think they have more depth. But they're not where they need to be at all those spots. So I think it's those little areas where they can really uh, kind of make up some ground. Yeah, and you know, when you talk about just the, the schedule, right, a lot of people, uh, at least to me that I've seen, a lot of people are in that range of 7-5, and 8-4. and four. You've seen some people push all the way up to a 9-3, and three, maybe even higher. But a lot of those games, you know, we're talking about a, a 3-4 to four game spread there. Go back to Tennessee's 2021 season, and you look at a couple of these games on the schedule. Tennessee lost by a touchdown to Pittsburgh. Um, What was it? It was a five-point loss to Ole Miss at home. It was a three-point win over Kentucky. It was a three-point loss to Purdue in the Music City Bowl. I I think that just kind of shows that, hey, a lot of these games are going to be close, and especially for those games that are up there 48-45, to Three points versus seven points makes a difference, and so I think that yeah, obviously Tennessee's going to give up yards throughout the season, but if they can, if they can really just batten down the hatches and, and be able to defend that red zone, I, I think that could do wonders for Tennessee. Maybe in those close games where it is only decided by three, four, five points. Yeah, and I think that just gets to you know a broader question of is can Tennessee be better in close games this year? Go. They weren't very good in close games last year, going one and three and. Obviously, they made the plays they needed to win those Kentucky games, but I think even yeah, we talked about it at the time a little bit. I think it even goes maybe more on the offense in those situations in the defense. Obviously, it's a team effort, but you look at those three games Tennessee lost. Pitt, Pittsburgh, Tennessee had the ball down at the goal line. They didn't get it. Go or they had a really bad spot on third down. They didn't challenge it. They went fourth and fourth down. They didn't get it. The defense got the ball back for him, and Hinton Hooker made one of just his three interceptions on the season. Uh, go forward to the Ole Miss game, and we know. I mean, the Tennessee's defense that struggled, you know, throughout that game was really good in the fourth quarter. And Tennessee's offense had multiple chances, and uh, you know, with all the brouhaha and and all the nonsense that kind of went on in the last minute of that game, I think you can easily forget the fact that Tennessee had the ball twice, driving to win within the last two minutes of the yeah, game. The reasoning for the brouhaha is because of the call when Tennessee was on offense, the fourth down pass. I believe that was to Jacob Warren right there on the line. So. There you go, to your point. Yeah, and even after that, they get the ball back. So two times in the last two minutes. and then <laughs> Yeah, I forgot Milton even came out. Yeah, and then you get to the Kentucky game, and the game that they won, it was Tennessee's defense that, after giving up 4th and 23, uh, they are the ones who, who <laughs> locked it down and got to stop to clinch the win. And then you go to the Purdue game where, obviously, again, more you know, ref, in the three games they lost, and even in the Kentucky game that they won, Tennessee got away with a huge face mask, uh, or maybe it was a horse collar, I can't remember, on a big negative play. And yep. Kentucky ended up getting that first down, but if the penalty's called, you don't know what happens. And so all four of those games, there was a, a crucial call late, and I get to the Purdue one in which Tennessee did not score going for it down on the goal line on fourth down. Uh, obviously, the, the, uh, Jalen Wright reached the ball into the end zone, forward progress yeah. was called, and however you want to 
look at that rule. But in, in the three games that Tennessee lost, it was the offense that had a chance to win late and didn't get the job done in, in the game that Tennessee won close. It was the defense that got the job done. So uh, that's kind of getting off topic, but I think that's an area where you look at. Obviously, the offense was really good last year. I expect, as I think most expect, the offense to be really good this year. But can they be better in those late-game situations when the game's on the line? Good eight months later. What what are you what are your thoughts on that play on that call? I mean, I, it's to me it seems like it should have been a touchdown, <laughs> but I'm not a I'm not a college yeah. football ref. I haven't officiated football at any sort of level. Uh, the intricacies. I think obviously the ball. The, I think obviously it shouldn't have been blown dead for uh, for progress. I think the question is is I believe it was Princeton Fant that maybe helped pull Jalen Wright yeah. into the end zone, which I think is a rules violation uh, on its own. So yeah, uh, that. You know, again, I think it probably should have been a touchdown, but I'm no no expert on what should have happened. So that was going back to last season. We'll go back to uh, Tuesday's scrimmage, though. Again, if you want to uh, see everything that Josh Heupel said about it, if you want to see him talk about the scrimmage, that is over at RockyTopInsider.com. Ryan, uh, what other uh, takeaways did you have, maybe from the press conference, maybe from what we've heard about the scrimmage since? Yeah, I think one is you you mentioned it earlier to Jeremy Banks interception that I think apparently being the only turnover. And I think, you know, you've heard some good things about Jawan Mitchell and what he's been able to do in pass coverage, too, in fall camp. And I think you start feeling like, obviously, there's not the depth in the linebacker group, but if Jawan Mitchell can become a real factor, if Jeremy Banks, coupled with Jawan Mitchell, both those guys can be better in pass defense, I feel like you start to feel pretty good, uh, or at least better, about Tennessee's front seven. You know, I didn't even make this connection until you just said the stat a second ago, but, I mean, for anybody to... I think Jeremy Banks' interception was impressive on its own, but then you think about how Hendon Hooker did throw three interceptions last year. How, you think about how safe and effective he is with the ball. Now, obviously, this is a scrimmage situation where you know he he might be a little bit looser than he is in game, but Hendon Hooker is a hard guy to get an interception off of. Again, credit Jeremy Banks for making that play and where he was on the field. Yeah, absolutely, and I think maybe the last thing that really stood out is. The running back room as a whole, and I'll start with Jabari Small, who Josh Heupel had some good things to say uh, about his performance in the scrimmage, and then Jason Swain, who uh, on the Josh and Swain show uh, yesterday was talking, uh, he was at the scrimmage watching it as a former player, and he had a, a lot of praise for what Jabari Small did, I think even saying that he thought he would be one of the best running backs in the SEC if he stays healthy. I thought that was noteworthy just because, you know, Jabari Small was good last year, he wasn't great. Uh, but, you know, there is that overall thought that he got his shoulder injured in that Pittsburgh game, and he really played that whole season not 100%. And it was, he played a little bit as a freshman, but it was his first season as one of the main backs in an SEC offense. I think there's, that maybe hasn't been an area I've looked at a ton this offseason, but I really think that is uh, more, I think, about an area or a player that could really improve and take a jump. And another thing with the running backs, obviously, there's been a lot of talk about Lynn J. Dixon and rightfully yeah. so bringing in a transfer at this, this stage in the game. But I think what, uh, Heupel said about the two young running backs carried a lot of credence. It sounded like Dylan Sampson had a really good de- day, and I think maybe the thing that stood out the most with him is, is we know his speed. We know that he is, for a running back, a good pass catcher. And Heupel had some really high praise about his, his pass protection and his uh, kind of understanding of what it takes to compete at the right level, which is probably the first thing you look at for a freshman. But when you combined a running back group that doesn't have a ton of guys that have been very good in pass protection. Jalen Wright really struggled there last year, and that is a very tough area for freshmen to pick up on. Uh, I think for Sampson to essentially, or for apparently to have been good there, combined with the fact that uh, he's a good pass catcher, I think you look, wow, there's, here's a chance for this guy to earn a role as maybe a, a th- your third down running back and 
third and long situations, passing situations. And then also he, he offered a lot of praise for Justin Williams-Thomas and said really complimented uh, – he was an early enrollee, really complimented uh, the growth that he showed between the end of spring practice and the start of fall camp. And I think – you know, not that Lynn J. Dixon is not going to play a role uh, on this team because I think he certainly will. But you're seeing that you knew when Lenny Whitehead wasn't going to be there and before Lynn J. Dixon, anything that was official, you knew you needed those running backs to step up, really both of them at that point, uh, those freshmen running back. I think you probably need one to step up now. And I think at least one of those guys stepping up and, and being able to become a, a real real piece of this team, it, it looks like a, a realistic thing to ask here. 10 days in the fall camp. Yeah, I mean, just piggybacking off of some of those thoughts right there. You know, I think a lot of people look at these two freshmen that are coming in as certainly two very talented backs, but Justin Williams-Thomas gets a little bit more of the, got a little bit more of the praise, got a little bit more of the recognition in the recruiting process. And certainly he he's go, it seems like he's perfectly on track to be a great player at the college level. Uh, but I have certainly been impressed with what I've seen from Dylan Sampson. And, and to your point right there, seems like the coaches ha- have been impressed with him as well. I mean, when you look at just the kind of reps that Tennessee is doing or just the drills off on the sideline, you see him as one of those first backs that, not that Tennessee has a uh, has a huge room to, to cycle through on these drills, but you see him just as active as any other back. So I, I have certainly uh, taken a note from him as well. Then Lynn J. Dixon, Josh Heupel said yesterday, that he will be immediately eligible for the season coming up. So that is a check mark for Tennessee. But leading into my other point, uh, status yet for Brew McCoy, still unknown, still being worked on by Tennessee. Uh, but really, you know, we talk about a lot of these freshmen that Tennessee has, and I think those were, are some of the names that have been taking a lot of the uh, the waves of news during camp. You talk about Squirrel White speed, right? Maybe Dylan Sampson running the 23 miles per hour. You talk about, you know, um, just other guys like that. But one area that I'm really interested to see what continues to happen is somewhere where you expect probably some kind of veteran player to wind up as, but at that last wide receiver position. Obviously the one that Ramel Keaton has been starting at and practicing at right now, but does he do enough to kind of hold that spot? Do uh, do they feel like Brew, El- uh, excuse me, Brew McCoy can, can get the growth under his belt and do the development that he needs to do while becoming eligible and seeing if he can jump up in that spot as well? You know, again, I think a lot of this, uh, a lot of the talk for the newcomers is certainly warranted, and you know, you get the news stories about them. But for some of these veteran guys, you know, Tennessee doesn't have a lot of position battles going on right now. But for the ones that they do, I am certainly interested in the competition that's happening at those spots. Yeah, certainly, and I think one Brew McCoy was sidelined a little bit this week uh, with some sort of minor injury at practice had it looked like his lower leg uh, being stretched out and worked on. It didn't seem like anything serious, but uh, obviously that's another thing that, you know, we've talked about how he's going to have to earn that spot. And I think that sets him back a little bit. And I think it becoming more and more intrigued by, by Walker Merrill. And he's really stuck at that outside spot. And, and, you know, I think it was such a crowded area at the slot. It made sense for him to move out there though. I don't think he's maybe naturally an outside receiver, but he's a guy that had flashed sometimes last year. And it, it seems to be, Seems like there's a lot of positive buzz around what he's done the first couple weeks uh, of fall practice, and and I think he's a guy that the more and more you look at it, especially if McCoy doesn't get eligible or if he struggles to be 100% when the season starts, uh, I think he's Merrill's going to be a guy that's going to have some opportunities in the sophomore season. He's rocking that cool visor this week. <laughs> well, yes, yes. <laughs> Man, I'm a I'm a sucker for cool looking sports equipment, right? Yes. Like I just think that's a it's almost like a gladiator, like a modern gladiator going into battle. Hey, he's rocking a cool dark, dark visor. visor. Yeah. Woo! 
It's a good, good look. look. It's a good look on a uh, football. You know, I saw, uh, I think it was probably Chad Fields on Twitter. Uh, granted, this is not my forte by any means, but he, he was talking about maybe some of the new helmets that Tennessee is running through. Uh, I Again, I have no idea about that, but for some people who, who love that kind of stuff, this is their jam. And uh, who knows? It looks like Tennessee might be uh, incorporating some new helmets into the mix. All right, so... Just kind of wrapping up things on the football end, Ryan, I know it's only really been a week and a half or so. We've only got to, uh, we've probably seen about an hour of practice collectively or so, and granted, most of those drills are the exact same each day, but we've, we've gotten to see a good little bit, about a week and a half into training camp so far. Are there any opinions that you've kind of, or uh, maybe any thoughts that you had at the beginning of camp that have shifted a little bit now here about a week and a half into it? Yeah, I don't think anything massively. Okay. Uh, n- nothing that's really shifted a ton. Uh, I would maybe say the linebackers, uh, just because I think Jawan Mitchell has been better than expected, uh, or at least is starting to maybe live up to his potential. And we'll watch to see. It's all about consistency there. It, that's one thing that stands out, and I think maybe something that has surprised me. I don't know if it's necessarily been that my opinion has, has flipped, but you know, Tamari McDonald continues to... Uh, seem to be pretty high up in where he's getting reps, and, and I think may become a little bit more of a factor at that star spot than I, you know, had originally thought when we entered fall camp, whatever it was, about ten days ago. Yeah, I, I would certainly agree with that. And then just sticking on the sticking on the note of the defensive backs, you know, one thing that I certainly was looking for going into camp was just how big was that room going to be, right? We know that Tennessee, yes, for some drills they'll split them up between corners and and safeties and so on, but ultimately we know that Willie Martinez coaches these guys all as one group, right? The defensive backs, the secondary units. I, I was certainly uh, looking for just what that group looked like and how big it was. Now, I think about a week and a half, uh, you see that that position has depth. Whether that's all going to be playable depth, I, I think that is something to uh, to be seen as the weeks continue to go on. Christian Charles, I believe it was on Monday where he took off the non-contact jersey, but yep. at the same time, Kamal Hen looks like he, he goes down with a little bit of an injury to take him off the field. So uh, shifting players a little bit there, but at least to me, I, I don't know if you agree, but I've at least seen more depth than I maybe figured was going to go into it, or, or at least just when you see the bodies on the field with your own eyes. I, I think for me it was at least just a, a little bit of a, okay, that's in a decent position. Again, yeah. I, maybe maybe it's not all playable talent, but certainly just bodies, more bodies than they had there than last year. No, I think that's definitely right. And one other note I would add with the defensive backs, and I don't think he's going to make a big impact this year, but and he, he put on the red non-contact jersey about the same time this week that Charles took it off. But that's Christian Harrison, uh, the, the freshman safety. And, you know, he was a very, very low-rated recruit. I think one of the lowest in Tennessee's class. And, again, I would be surprised if he earned some sort of big role outside of just playing special teams here in his freshman season. But he looks really good, and I think he's a guy that – in his tenure is definitely going to outplay his ranking. Yeah, certainly. Again, Josh Heupel talking to the media yesterday about the scrimmage that was on Tuesday. If you want to go and find it, you can check it out out on RockyTompInsider.com. He mentions J- uh, Jimmy Callaway and Jalen Hyatt as two guys who impressed him from the slot position. Also mentioned uh, some of the other deeper wide receivers like a Walker Merrill you just mentioned as well uh, a little bit later on in the press conference. Talked about the defensive line. Talked about how Amari Thomas, uh, Thomas is somebody that he has seen tremendous growth from, not only as a player on the field, but in a, as a leader in the locker room as well. So that is pretty much it, at least just kind of, our quick thoughts are just some of our conversations, some of our takeaways from the first week and a half of Tennessee football training camp. The Vols are going to be back on the practice field tomorrow, so be looking out for Rocky Top Insiders practice highlights and practice observations. 
a little bit in the afternoon tomorrow. That's when that should come out. But otherwise, again, that's going to wrap up our Tennessee football training camp talk. Ryan, we're going to take a quick break right here, come back on the other side, and then get into just a couple of quick baseball and basketball stories for you. Just what else is going on in the world of Tennessee athletics. Don't go anywhere. This is the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass. We'll be right back. And now, back to the show. All right, here we go. Back into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass. Rick Butler, Ryan Shumpert hanging out with you. Just wrapped up a little bit of Tennessee football training camp conversation. Now we are flipping the script. We're moving over to the other spots of the Tennessee athletics world. Uh, You know, Ryan, actually, before we do that real quick, let me finish off with one last football note. We know that Tennessee is in the middle of training camp right now. So are NFL teams, which means former Tennessee players are in the NFL as well. You can go and check out some of these highlights over on RockyTopInsider.com. Uh, but guys who have been impressing at camp just as uh, as the practices and as the workouts have gone on, obviously Trey Smith and Josh Palmer heading into their sophomore years. Uh, Smith with the Chiefs, Palmer with the Chargers, so it seems like they've been doing good. Alante Taylor, which, by the way, I've been meaning to ask you about this off-air for days at this point. This is the perfect time to. Did you see that uh, Alante, I, mean, I don't know if I can say that, he he correct he actually corrected some of the Saints reporters on how to say his name. They came up to him in the press conference. They said, hey, you know, we're looking at the Tennessee pronunciation guide, and it says that your name is Alante, right? But we've been saying it as Alante, or uh, I can't remember exactly what it was. And he said that, you know, it's actually neither of those things, you know, People really just call me Tay from now on because it's short and it's sweet and easy, but it's kind of like Alante or or something like that. Excuse me if I'm, I'm I know I'm butchering it. I only saw it this morning, but did you? No. Uh, excuse me, I saw it a couple mornings ago. But did you see this or, or did it catch your eye at all? No, I didn't catch that at all. That's huh. funny. The the saga continues. I know. Yeah, I was gonna say that that makes a couple in a row now at this point, right? Yeah, it does. JG and then Vescovy, Santiago yep. Vescovy. So, yep. um, you know, I'm always, like I said, I think it's time Vescovy. Now it's, if uh, you want me to pronounce your name a certain way, I'm going to do my best to try to pronounce it that way. I don't really <laughs> care how long it took for you to speak up about it. That's how your name's pronounced. So I'm going to say it that way. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll factor it into the equation now. Yeah. Uh, Matthew Butler makes his uh, debut in the Hall of Fame game last week. Cade Mays with the Panthers. Juwan Jennings, uh, what is this, year three for him with the yeah. Niners? Seems like he's uh, he, he's been doing pretty good. Kyle Shanahan with some good comments on him. Bayless Jones Jr. Uh, doing work with the Bears over there and Justin Fields. And then actually, again, I don't know if you saw this this morning. Actually, I believe it came out yesterday afternoon. But it looks like the Cardinals quarterbacks are having a little bit of a uh, – having the injury bug roll through with Kyler Murray and Colt McCoy being out. According to Bob McManaman, um, he says – Cliff Kingsbury says Trace McSorley and Jarrett Garantano will split time Friday in preseason opener at the Bengals. So How about that? Something to watch for. That is something to watch for. A lot of uh, former Tennessee players making noise during NFL training camps. You love to see it. All right, my friend, let's uh, let's jump right over to the baseball news. You you broke a little bit of news over on Rocket Top Insider this week uh, with a little bit of Tennessee roster movement. What do you have on that? Yeah, so Logan Steenstra, who reserve infield the last reserve infielder the last two years, transferred uh, from a junior college uh, into Tennessee and and played sparingly, never really a starter. Really earned the most of his opportunities back in 2021 when Liam Spence had a hamstring injury kind of flare up and he played shortstop there. And then uh, kind of in a similar situation this year as a, kind of the backup shortstop and second baseman. He is just leaving the Tennessee program uh, to 
basically leaving baseball altogether, not entering the transfer portal or anything like that. He's taken a, a full-time job in Kansas City. He's from Missouri originally, so back closer to home, and uh, we just won't be a part of the Tennessee baseball program anymore. All right, so stepping away from uh, Tennessee baseball, huh? Yeah, it is, and you know, I think not that he was – I think we've talked about it on here, and I, I probably haven't mentioned his name as a guy who I thought would start, but I, you know, I think he would have been in competition uh, with Christian Moore at second base, and uh, with him gone more than anything, you just don't have a whole lot of depth there. Uh, Tennessee, Austin Jaslow comes back, and, and they bring in a freshman who they feel pretty good about that can help him there, and in Logan Chambers, who was a junior college recruit last year, didn't play a ton. He can play some second base, and my guess is he'll have to end up playing some second base this year just because uh, of the lack of depth there. But more than anything, I think he's a guy that could have compete, would have competed uh, for playing time and a potentially starting job. And more than anything, uh, at his very worst, if he didn't win that job, I think he would have been a really good backup infielder to have. And uh, with him gone, I think it kind of does show up on Tennessee's depth a, a little bit. We talked about maybe last week how in the outfield there's a lot of spots that you know, you feel like you don't know who's going to start, but you have a ton of bodies. The infield, I think, is kind of the opposite. Even though they lost a lot of guys, you feel pretty good about who's going to start in most spots. But behind them, not a ton of depth. So I think that's a guy that's versatile like Steenstra and has shown that he can at least play at a decently high level in the SEC is a pretty big loss. Logan Steenstra stepping away from Tennessee baseball. You know, a couple of other players moved on from Tennessee baseball just within the last few months. However, that was to go play professionally. Talk about two guys in particular, Ryan. Drew Gilbert and Jordan Beck are just off to scorching dynamite starts in their professional careers. Drew Gilbert over with the, uh, with the Astros Florida Coastal League, I believe that's what it is. Man, that guy hit a home run in his first at-bat just last week. His debut day was a doubleheader in which, yeah, he steps up to the plate and knocks out a home run in his first at-bat. Uh, and then Jordan Beck, we know that he's doing pretty good with the Rockies right now. Even talk about um, Trey Lipscomb with the Nationals uh, minor league team. Big debut yesterday. Yeah, yeah, he had a debut and hit a home run as well. So certainly good things happening for the uh, Tennessee players that are just now starting their professional careers as well. Yeah, and I was even surprised that Drew Gilbert started in, in Rookie League, yeah, which is where he too. was just because of how polished of a hitter he is, and it took him all of about a week to get <laughs> called up. He's up in low A now, so that, that wasn't in any surprise to see him start on a tear and get called up quickly. And then yep. the other one, uh, I think maybe just more of a note of where he is more than what he's done, but Ben Joyce starting um, his professional career in Double A with the, the Rocket City Trash Pandas, and um, he, I think he had a bad or a rough first outing, gave up a, a couple earned runs in an inning, uh, a couple, I think, bo- broken bat hits in there, didn't pitch particularly poorly. But that's pretty crazy for him to go straight up in double A, and they, those guys are in the same league as the Tennessee Smokies, and they'll be, I believe, up in town this next week. And that should be a, a good chance for people to go watch Ben Joyce. Obviously, that's tough because you don't know, as a bullpen pitcher, which days he's going to pitch. But they have Ben Joyce, they have... Chase Silseth, who was a pitcher at Tennessee and transferred to Arizona for the end of his career. They have Sonny DeShero, uh, the SEC Player of the Year from Auburn. So a lot of cool kind of college uh, baseball yeah. ties to that uh, Rocket City Trash Pandas team, and they'll be up here next week playing the Smokies if anyone wants to go check that out. Ben Joyce and Sonny D on same the same team. team. That's, yeah. a, uh, that's an exciting combination right there. Yeah, that is. Uh, that really is. So not bad at all. Yeah, and I think that shows a, a, you know that shows what a high level SEC baseball is. That you know two of the better players in the league they go straight up to Double A, and uh, I think both of those guys will probably be on a collision course to be in professional or be in Major League Baseball uh, within a couple of years. Yeah, no doubt about it. So 
That is a little bit of conversation about what is the latest, what's just kind of happening around the Tennessee baseball program. But, Ryan, let's uh, flip the gear one more time and talk about Tennessee basketball to wrap this thing up. Tennessee released the non-conference schedule yesterday on, uh, what would that be, on Tuesday. What do we have here? We have about 10 or so games to look through. we got a couple tournaments to look through. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway from the non-conference schedule? You know, I'm not really sure there was one, just because the the main opponents, uh, they'd already been announced. I mean, you knew the Texas game and SEC Big 12 right. Challenge. You knew Tennessee was going to Arizona uh, in some time you would imagine in mid-December to play. You knew Tennessee was playing uh, Maryland in the Hall of Fame tip-off on December 11th. You knew Tennessee was going to, or going to Nashville to face Colorado real early in the season, and then you knew that Tennessee... Uh, was playing. You already knew the bracket for the Battle for Atlantis tournament. The Tennessee will play three straight days over Thanksgiving. So no huge surprise. Uh, I mean, I think it was just interesting to see or anything where those games fall amidst the schedule and obviously see the mid-major to low-major opponents Tennessee will have to face. But yeah, I, I think maybe the fact that obviously I knew the game was November 13th on that Sunday, so I knew it was going to be really early in the season. But for Colorado, that game will be Tennessee's second game of uh, the season. I think will be interesting. And then uh, really, more than anything, and that game in Nashville. Correct? Yeah, and uh, I think we might have talked about talked about this before in here or not. Fantastic, fantastic sports day in Nashville. Uh, I really, really cool what they're doing. Where the Broncos, Denver Broncos, play the Tennessee okay. Titans at uh, what I guess would be the noon uh, kickoff local time. And so then this that is afternoon, on a Sunday. This is all on a Sunday. Okay. Uh, normal NFL, you know, NFL Sunday, and then later that afternoon, Colorado, uh, the basketball team obviously plays Tennessee at Bridgestone Arena. Obviously, that's the Colorado ties with Denver and then uh, Boulder. Oh wow! Yeah, so uh, a so good. So it's a double day for uh, a double dipping day for Colorado and Tennessee, the states. Yes, exactly, and I think the game time has not been announced for that Colorado game, but I think they're going to try to make that a night game or an afternoon game where it's uh, feasible for fans to go to make it their way from Nissan Stadium over to Bridgestone Arena and kind of have an all day Tennessee versus Colorado uh, sporting event. Tennessee gets this nice Battle for Atlantis uh, tournament right here in late November. That's going to be first game against Butler, second game against USC or BYU, and then you get that third game that will be uh, to be determined just the way that it shakes out. Uh, but I am certainly excited to see that. Obviously, good competition for Tennessee right off the bat in the first month of the season. Uh, but correct me if I'm wrong, they did not have a uh, one of those early season tournaments last year, or did they? They did. Um, it was it was a little bit different because it was four team tournament and it was the weekend before Thanksgiving. But they went up, I believe, it was the Hall of Fame tip off or some sort of Hall of Fame That's event right. up in You're Connecticut right. where they Villanova blew them out in the first game. That's and then right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They blew out North Carolina. What's in the, the arena game. that they were at? It's like a um, uh, the Mo- Mohegan Sun. There you go. That's... Maybe a casino or yeah. a hotel. I'm not. A classic like all these tournaments. I mean, this the one they're at this year, the you know Battle for Atlantis is the, per, I mean they are it's the nth degree. They play in some weird gyms in these tournaments, and there's no weirder <laughs> one than this Hall of Fame tip-off where they play in a ballroom. Uh, essentially, they put a basketball court in a ballroom and some bleachers. Um, but uh, very very the, funny. Was that the tournament a couple years ago where it was the remember you try to stream the game and it was through the uh, maybe like a. a just a really janky YouTube link. Yes. It was the worst setup broadcast. It looked like they just took a, a 2006 camcorder, uh, put it on a chair, and then just hit record, hit, hit stream. Yeah, I know you're talking about that would have been the 2019-20 season. That was down in Destin. I'm not sure the name of the tournament. Tennessee yeah. lost to Florida State the first game, and then Monte yeah. Turner hit a buzzer beater to beat VCU. <laughs> yes. 
the second game. But no, this was not. I mean, this is uh, as poor as the area to play is. I mean, this hall or this uh, battle for Atlantis is one of the best tournaments uh, in pre-conference. You know, these tournaments are all around Thanksgiving week. It's one of the best ones every year. It'll be on ESPN. The broadcast should be good. Uh, this is the one Tennessee played in uh, back. I guess it would have been. Maybe two years before uh, the trip to Destin, they beat Purdue in that first game in the 2018-19 season, 2017-2018 season is what that would have been. And it was kind of that first big win for Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield over Purdue, and I believe they lost to the eventual national champion Villanova the next day, and then beat North Carolina State in the third place game to finish off the week. Hey, settle down, everybody. I've got the name. What's the name? The Emerald, Emerald Coast Classic. Classic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Now that it was... now it rings a bell, and now it's it's a it's a perfectly painted picture in my head. I, I can see it like it was yesterday. Now at this point, what a uh, what a vivid memory. But that is uh, again Tennessee's non conference schedule. If you want to go and look up anything else that has to do with that, you can find it all over at RockyTopInsider.com. That's where we have all uh, the good news for you over there. So Ryan, anything else uh, to wrap up the show today? No, I think that's it. Stay tuned to Rocky Top Insider on all different social medias. We have Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. That is Rocky Top Insider on all of them. Hey, that's where we're posting all of our football content right now. We are doing practice highlight videos. We're doing practice observations and notes articles. We have all the different things from the press conferences that are going up on YouTube. So just make sure that you're locked into all of it. You can find ten- uh, excuse me, you can find Rocky Top Insider on any of the platforms that you're looking for. Of course, check out RockyTopInsider.com each and every day for the most up-to-date news and uh, content on the Tennessee Volunteers. If you want to go and follow Ryan on Twitter, that would be at rshump 0 if you want to follow myself, you can go and follow me at Rick underscore Butler. But otherwise, make sure you are following Rocky Top Insider, and that is about it. All right, Ryan, I think that's going to wrap it up for us today. we got another uh, Tennessee practice tomorrow morning, so make sure to look out for those videos. But otherwise, we'll be right back in the studio next Wednesday. Sound good? Yeah, sounds great. All right, my friend, let's go ahead and get out of here. Thanks for listening along. Tell a friend about it. Give us a good rating. We will see you next week. This has been the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass.